and welcome to Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. We are here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. We are a podcast that loves questions. And today's question is, are most of Sondheim's shows about people wanting to fuck? That is a genuine question um, that I wanted. And our, our guest today, you're happy to chime in. Um, if that's I, I, that was what I was thinking about when I was listening to a little night music, which is we'll, we'll get into. That's what we're talking about today. Um, I feel like, and we'll get into to Stephen Sondheim later. But I feel like a lot of his shows are about people wanting to fuck. One hundred percent. Yes, and that, maybe that's why I love his work so much. <laughs> it's just horny as hell. He's that was like the number one word that came into my mind. Uh, thinking about today's film and today's show. Of course, today we are talking about uh, the 1955 film Smiles of a Summer Night, written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, which was uh, thus adapted into the 1973 musical A Little Night Music, book by Hugh Wheeler, music and lyrics by the Stephen Sondheim. Uh, Today's guest uh, is a wonderful actor, musician, singer, teaching artist. They are the co-founder and producer of We The People Present, a podcast, um, another (laughs) podcast. Uh, The wonderful Tina Munoz-Pangia. Tina, the most important question, how are you today? I am just fine. You know, (laughs) pandemic fine, I think. I was going to say, that's a terrible question to ask. It's real (laughs) bad. Um, Also with us, as always, is our producer, Bran Moorhead. Bran how are you today? Uh, I would say same answer. Bad question to ask <laughs> these days. But uh, I was, I I'm don't... okay. I'm glad glad to be doing this. This is our inaugural uh, recording session. This is so our inaugural... Knows. Yes. We don't know if this will be the first one released, but for transparency, uh, this is the first time we are recording an episode, um, which is exciting, and I'm thrilled uh, for this lovely uh, room of people. Uh, Tina, Brad actually asked me this before... Uh, we started recording, and maybe you have a better answer. I'm trying to figure out... We, we are both Chicago... We are all Chicago-based, mm-hmm. uh, th- usually theatrical performers, um, when theater was a thing. Um, how did we meet? And I'm tr- I was trying to think about this, and I don't... Uh, and I can't pin it down. You know, okay, I think we may have, like, met in person for the first time at... A hypocrite's gala. Okay. Um, because I think that's where I remember meeting you, but it was something around Cinderella mm-hmm. because you knew Dana and Amanda through that, and I knew these are our friends for anyone listening. Um, and I knew them from the Pirates um, rep that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was through that, but I don't, I don't know exactly what, I feel like we've just been in and around, you know, we're both accordion players in the Chicago theater scene, like you can't, it's hard to miss each other. We do both play the accordion, which is, it's a, it's a funky instrument. I love it a lot. It's, it's, it's sitting here right in the corner of my office doing nothing. Um, <laughs> Mine's right over there too, just sitting. It's good. It's a good time. Um, so yeah, so we're talking about. Smiles of a Summer Night. Um, this podcast, just for, so everyone knows, like our current perception of time, it only moves in one direction. We're only moving from movie to musical. We're not talking about cats. 
We're not talking about <laughs> most of Rogers and Hammerstein's uh, works, which many of them did get film adaptations. We're not doing that. We are, we are, we are solely a movie that was turned into a musical. So we're not even talking about the movie they made of this one. Well, <laughs> you know, we might because it's very bad. And we'll yep. get into. Did you watch it? Have, have you watched it? The movie version. I watched of- about three quarters. Three quarters of it. <laughs> well, we'll get. We will talk about it. But yes, like we are not devoting the majority of our time to talking about it. But it will. It will inevitably come up. No, we are talking about. The sometimes ill-fated, in this case, sometimes very inspired decision to take a movie and turn it into a musical. Um, the year is 1955. <laughs> Ingmar, Ingmar Bergman, a Swedish film director, um, makes a little movie called Smiles of a Summer Night, which is now regarded as one of his best movies. The film that brought him acclaim outside of Sweden. Um, a really joyful film. Uh, Tina, had had you? What what is your Bergman relationship? We're talking about two titans today. We're talking Ingmar Bergman and Stephen Sondheim. Um, yeah, this is like the classiest conversation I've maybe ever. I was had. about to say, like the next record after this is fucking Shrek. Like I'm just like <laughs> the contrast that I that was seeing this week is kind of nightmarish. But yeah, this is just like. Classy AF before we talk about how fucking horny this film is. But yes, what is this episode proves we all went to art school. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) But yeah, what is talking about Shrek is high art as a film. (sighs) We'll we'll talk about Shrek. Um (laughs) high art. (laughs) (laughs) 420 Blazon. Uh what is Tina, what is your relationship with Ingmar Bergman, if any? So interestingly, I do have a a relationship with Ingmar Bergman, a very specific one. So I had never seen Smiles of a Summer Night before we decided to do this. And um, I, you know, disclaimer, I fucking loved it. Oh, sorry, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, fine. <laughs> great. I, great, great, great. Yeah, I don't, but who, I will. who cares? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing is real. Uh, yeah, everything <laughs> is a nightmare. Um, but yeah, so I, I loved it. But it was only the second Bergman film I had ever seen. Um, the only other Ingmar Bergman film I had seen before that was his uh, recording of like a kind of semi-stage, semi-film version of The Magic Flute, which is a Mozart opera, Okay. which I have known by heart since I was a child because we used to watch it at my grandparents' house, um, like obsessively. So... And I didn't realize it was Bergman until, like, later, and I knew that I was supposed to know who that was. Sure. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's in Swedish. It's the opera, all the kind of classic songs that people know from that. Um, but other than that, I kind of had no exposure to Bergman. So for me, growing up, it was, like, the opera guy, the magic flute guy. <laughs> for sure. He, Which I guess for this is appropriate, because we're uh, talking about musicals. I know. No, that's... It's, and he... I mean, he was, he was a prof- prolific film director, stage director. Like, he... He... His film... He had, like, stuff on TV, scenes from... F- scenes from a marriage, scenes of a marriage. I am very terrible. Um, yeah, like, he... He traversed all artistic mediums. Scenes from a marriage. Uh, he traversed many artistic uh, frontiers uh, throughout his life. Um... I, this was my first Ingmar Bergman film. I own, I, I, I own the Criterion Blu-ray of this film. <laughs> this is this is going to be become a frequent sort of like 
mini-series within the series of which of these films do I fucking own on a art house <laughs> Blu-ray. This is one of them. Um, but yes, and I, I own that, and I own The Seventh Seal, which was his next film, um, but mm-hmm. I haven't watched that yet, and I, I, I hope to soon. But yeah, I'm, I'm something of a Bergman neophyte, um, but as, as with many... Uh, great films in the Criterion Collection. There are wonderful uh, features and sort of like little bonuses and supplements to uh, fill in some details. I think the thing that I was most struck by was apparently, so Bergman was doing fine in his career, it seemed like. Like like we said, like I said, this is sort of the film that brought him success. Um, about sort of the making of this film, uh, Ingmar Bergman said, quote, uh, this was a terrible time in my life and I was extremely depressed. So I said, why not make a film just for fun? I went away to Switzerland and had two alternatives. Write Smiles of a Summer Night or Kill Myself. And obviously... (laughs) And so obviously we know which one he went with, but I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, my dude. Um, So it's like a... It's a fascinating film to, like think about this this man at the saddest point of his life and he's like i'm gonna write a movie about a bunch of people who want to have sex with each other um who are just so horned up um yeah let's so removed and it's it's strange for me and i'm sure probably for you tina i'm guessing you knew a little night music before smiles Mm -hmm. of a summer night yeah this wasn't like this this isn't like shrek where like you know, we know Shrek. We grew up with Shrek. Right. And then they're like, they made a musical of Shrek. This is, this. I feel like for a lot of people, this was kind of the inverse, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. you, you, you see or you listen to the cast album for a little night music and you're like, oh, this is based on a movie? Uh, and then you watch it. And it's, it's, I was trying, I was doing my darndest to like watch it without a little night music in my Same. brain. Uh, but it's hard because... It's a pretty faithful adaptation. Yeah, it's, all their names are the same. Yeah, there's like, which, which is, we'll get into that in a second with the movie, because they, they do something very inexplicably strange uh, with a little Night Music's film. Um, but either way, um, Smiles of a Summer Night, um, brief plot synopsis. Um, there's this lawyer, Frederick Eggerman, who's... Wild oh, facial hair on this man. <laughs> Vulcan. I mean, he looks yeah. like a Vulcan. <laughs> Yeah, his actual, like, hair hair is, like, so flat. He's got, like, yeah. these, like, weird little... <laughs> little bangs. Weird little bangs. Um, yeah, it's like a woolly willy drawing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a woolly... Kind of woolly willy drunk. But, yeah, he's a, he's a lawyer who once had this affair with this acclaimed actress, Desiree Armfeld. Um, but now he's married to this... Too young for him, woman, uh, Anne. Um, and uh, they have... The, uh, it's not it's his previous marriage, he has the son, Henrik. Henrik is a sad boy. Like, in, like the con- in contemporary politics, he's just like... The ultimate sad boy. He is! He's, and he looks... I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch, whenever it's coming out. Um, Timothy Chalamet, like... Wes had to have based his look off of Henrik. <laughs> He's got this, like, like this, like, I'm taking my hat off to display this, like, poofy hair and this, like, mm. mustache. Like, he looks like he hangs out in Logan. He looks like he hangs out in oh, Wicker yeah. Park. Like, oh, he yeah. look. he's got that look to him, and I love he's it. He's, like, I, clutching a guitar for half of the movie. Like, we all know this guy. 
It's fair. And it's, they keep, they keep the musical thing. They change it to a cello for a little night music. But yes, he plays, he plays piano. He plays guitar. He's moody AF. He's, he's like studying to be a priest. It seems like he's like reading Mm -hmm. these like foundational, like Martin Luther texts. It's, but he's like, but he's real horned up. He's got like and this. He's pe- crazy hot too. If you you know if that's important to anybody, he's crazy hot. He's got who's who's the actor? Um, Bjorn. Uh, 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 side note: names are going to be terrible for the, for these <laughs> actors. For the actors in the in Smiles of a Summer Night, the pronunciation. I apologize in advance. Uh, Bjorn Bjelvenstam is uh, Henrik. So yeah, Bjorn is he's pretty cute. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Frederick, played by Gunnar Bjornstrand, looks like Leonard Nimoy in, in Star Trek. You are absolutely <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so they and they go to see a play that Desiree's in that night. Um, and Anne's like, no, fuck this. We, like, she consented. Well, because Frederick like, oh. calls out her name while they're like in bed. He says yes. Desiree while he's like half asleep. Oh, right. that I like made a noise while I was watching. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and again, like again, like it's like you know that that all because in the musical it doesn't happen like while they're in bed together. No. Like this is, yeah, this is a deliberate like oh they are like in a moment and he says it, not great, not good. Mm. Um, so they go home, and then Frederick's like I gotta, I gotta go. Um, and he does, mm. and he goes to see Desiree. Um, and I don't. It's not a. So this is this is where I get tripped up because it's not implied that they fuck, right? Mm-hmm. There's just this sort of like he falls in a puddle, so he has to change into a nightgown, and but there's no there's like a lot of sort of like teasing back and forth, uh, but there's no real sexual implications. Um, yeah, seems like he fell on that puddle on purpose too. He just kind of <laughs> dives into it. <laughs> He yes, this is this is true. Um, and of course, uh, I will say Desiree Armfelt is played by uh, Ava Dahlbeck. And I'll, I gotta say, like performances across the board in this film are really great. So good. Yeah, like a- Ava Dahlbeck, like absolutely crushes it. And again, it's a very it's a very different Desiree than the one in the musical. I would I mm-hmm. would I would argue that there's a little bit more emotional digging in a little night music. And I think we'll get mm-hmm. into that, but I think she like Desiree in this one is like really playful and really fun and really like n- knives out kind of just like, I'm going to get these men yeah. who are just like yeah. fucking playing around with me, which I'm here for that energy big time. <laughs> it's good. I love it. Um, but yes, but Desiree is also seeing, uh, freaking count call Magnus Malcolm. Um, who is this, uh, general, this, well, this, he's a count, he's a soldier, um, it's, it's a, and who is also married, uh, who's already, already a a married man, um, so there's just, like, a lot of fucking, like, you gotta keep up with a lot of it, but it's actually pretty easy to keep up with, sort of, like, who's Mm -hmm. fucking who, and who's married to who, and where this energy's going, and then, like, all this is happening, like, Frederick and Anne have this, uh, like, house servant, uh, Petra, who's, like, flirting with, she's great, She's. So I I love her energy. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah, Harriet Harriet Anderson uh, in in Smiles of a Summer Night, and she is like flirting with uh, Henrik a little bit and teasing him because like she's got like this like like she is like she is a very like sexually open person mm-hmm. in this sort of society where 
where sort of things are a little bit more uh, like she's more promiscuous than than the energy would allow in this in this time period. It seems. Um, I'm trying to figure out like it doesn't. It says around the turn of the 20th century, so it's like a few decades before. Like it's like early 1900s, I suppose. Uh, is when and it's this... when, like, if you were if you were poor, it was fine to yeah. sleep with whoever you wanted to. But if you were rich, you totally could not, or you would, and just keep it a secret and lie about it. Mm-hmm. But then that's <laughs> the interesting thing because Cole Magnus, like Charlotte, like knows his wife. His wife Charlotte, um, yeah, she's awesome. She's my favorite yeah. in the whole movie. Yeah, she's she's, she's great. She's in on the entire thing, and she's just like, I don't know. It's fine if you're if you're cheating on me, but I do want revenge. Yeah, yeah. from her entrance in that like riding outfit with the gun, I was just like, who is she? Mega babe. Yeah. <laughs> Also, uh, like, every woman in this movie is the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your entire life. It's true. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cute, cute Swedish women. A lot of cute, like I said, Hen- I would say Henrik is the cutest Swedish guy in the film. Yeah. Fre- Freed has some, like, like, I would play Freed in, a, in an adaptation <laughs> of this. Like, that's all I'll say. I'm just like, like, that's, that's the kind of energy that he's got. Um, and I can... I can see what's happening with him, but yeah, I'm like <laughs> the other guys. They're fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, Carl Magnus has like short king, hot guy energy though a little bit. <laughs> he he throws... can pull off the. I think he can pull off the monocle, and that's saying something. <laughs> he throws, He's got some sharp shooting skills. He throws that dagger at the at the yeah. portrait, um, which they keep in the stage adaptation, which is kind of wild that they have to keep that trick in uh, yeah. for a stage show where you got to fucking. Throw a dagger at a painting. My God. Uh, but yeah, Charlotte Charlotte knows about this affair, which is just like absolutely tragic. Um, mm. But she's, I don't know, she's just like fucking taking it. And then we get this thing where Desiree's like, invite everyone to the, to the country house. Let's just, let's get this nonsense. Like he's seeing her, she's seeing him energy. Let's just get it out in the open. And so they're all invited to the country house of uh, Madame Armfelt, uh, played by Naima Wivstrand, who has a, a much larger role in the musical, which we'll get mm-hmm. into in a second. Um, but she's still got some fun energy here. She's still playing solitaire in bed. She's still sort of got that beautiful sort of like old woman energy that you'll see in a film. Um, gives like no craps about the world whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um and then they're all invited, and so they all go, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, just traditional sort of, like, farcical comedy heaven, I would say, once they, once they get to the house. Um, the, Freed and Petra sort of, like, take center stage, I would say, for the second half mm-hmm. of the film. Freed sort of becomes the shepherd of the themes of the movie. He, like, he yeah. is the one who talks about the titular smiles of the summer night. Um, he, he imparts this information. Um, we get to what I would say is my favorite part of the movie. And one of the few things that doesn't translate to the stage, uh, I call it the fuck button. Uh, there's that room <laughs> there. It's the room with the button wall opens up bed from an adjoining room rolls in. And there's this like lovely little tune. And then this little like. Cupid enters and it like lifts up a little trumpet and blaze, blows a little like burr, burr, burr. <laughs> and it's charming. <laughs> but oh I God. guess when that happened. I was like, what the fuck? I guess like 1973, they're just like, 
we can't do this effect. We like yeah. we're not we're not gonna make that happen. No. But it's it's uh, when that happened in the movie, I was just like, great. I was like, I get like that's that's the energy and that's the humor that they're playing with, and I think it's so. It's so charming and so horny. Like, this is, like, this is, like, it's unabashedly, this is a horny movie. Like, I just, I oh, yeah. gotta, this, and it's, which is funny, because there isn't, at least until, like, the second half, not a lot of, like, explicit, like, romance, but there's just an energy to it, and just, like, it's all in the performances, and it's all in the writing, and it's just a really beautiful, sexy time with these early 20th century Swedish folk, they're in Switzerland, but what have you. Um, well, no, no, they filmed it in Switzerland, whatever. Um, Europe. Europe. <laughs> from there, and I don't even know uh, <laughs> what countries are. Um, but everyone, but, it's a, but then, yeah, like, everyone eventually gets to fuck who they want to fuck. They have, uh, uh, Anne eventually runs off with Henrik, her stepson. It's not weird, because they're not related by blood. It's fine. Um, but yeah, Henrik tries to hang himself, and Anne, Anne stops him, um... And then because he uh, runs into the fuck button by accident, he does run into the. I'm saying it's a it's a great device. It's a great comic device in the film. Um, Carl Magnus challenges uh, Frederick to Russian roulette, but uh, jokes on Frederick because there's no button, there's no bullets. There's just soot in the gun, so he's just got a a face full of soot. Um, and so uh, he leaves with uh, Charlotte, and Charlotte's like, we're going to go home, but you're not fucking around anymore. Like, you, you, you're mine. And again, just that, that, like you were saying, Tina, that energy that she, that she exudes, it's, it's great. You, you want more of that. <laughs> um, and then the ending, it's the, and, and then the Petra and Frida fucking in the, in the, in the hay. In the hay. Uh, <laughs> Which is great. And again, like, and Petra's like, you're gonna marry me. I know that I've been, like, fucking around, but you're, we're getting married. <laughs> Which is just great. It's a fun little turn. Um, I, I want to, like, dive into sort of the ending for Desiree and Frederick, which I feel is... It's it's very different in the stage show, which we'll talk about, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's... I For me, it didn't come off as, like, a super, like, explicit, like they're going to end up together kind of thing. I don't know. What What are your, sort of your thoughts on how they end up in the film? Yeah, I mean, I do remember thinking, like, when the movie ended, I was like, uh, there isn't more? Like, that was the last that we saw of them? Because it really is, Desiree has a son called Frederick, right. who Frederick of meets course. earlier in the movie, and is like, why is your fucking son named Frederick? And she's like, it's a good name after like, it, you know, after some king or something. I don't remember. But um, the the way their relationship in the movie ends is like, Desiree's just like, so Frederick is a great name for a kid, don't you think? And he's like, yeah. And then that's like it. So I guess it's kind of, I mean, in the musical, it's also like unclear whether Frederica is his kid or not. But like, it. I don't know. I was just like, I need, I need more information. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, Frederick is, the role of Frederick the child in this movie Mm -hmm. is just like, 
he like it's just like typical like film child where they run on <laughs> to represent a thing and they don't yeah. really do much and yeah there's yeah the like I know yeah like Madame Armfelt and Frederick um don't have a super like Madame Armfelt has a larger role like at the big dinner scene which is a great scene as well mm. just a lot of great bobs being thrown across the table just it's framed really beautifully just with them sort of like all on one side of the table and Madame Armfelt like on the <laughs> other um it's it's I mean it's a yeah it's a beautifully it's a beautifully made film it's got that like gorgeous uh that gorgeous final shot of the windmill and the grass with the sun coming up after after the the moon has the moon has smiled uh what is it the moon has smiled on the young the fools and the old um and i feel like that was sort of the the that's the key into this into this show for all stevie uh and Hugh and the gang um but it's yeah, it's it was really lovely to watch. I think it it moves beautifully. It's just so it's fun and hot and uh just a it just a, a good time. I think if you just yeah. like I want to watch a movie that I'm going to have fun with and I am going to just like enjoy from beginning to end. Um and it I would say it rarely lags. Like I feel like it's just like mm. it just moves the sucker. Um Yeah. Yeah, just just 10 out of 10 fucks. I was <laughs> <laughs> I would give it on my own personal uh, rating. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there any anything else about the movie? Because I, I feel like so much of it, I feel like so much of the conversation is sort of about what they did to it. I, I feel like it's just like a straightforward, like, this is a good movie. That's yeah, really it's, all it's just like a good time. <laughs> and uh, I usually, I rarely, this might be a, this is definitely a generalization, but like for me, I tend to not enjoy old movies as much I think as a lot of people do just because a lot of it is about like the gender politics of them and Mm -hmm. I just get really turned off by certain things but this movie like I mean especially the gender politics of this movie like all of the women are super self-possessed and like characters that are really interesting and not just like used as tropes or like as foils for the men's development or journey so I really appreciated that about this movie but it's also like you said, it's like fun. It's like it real sexy, horny, but it, it also right from the beginning, like we have these like two like gossipy office workers in Frederick's office, who right? Never yeah, again, who are just like you know laying down exposition, but in like the sassiest way possible. And I was like, oh okay, I'm here for this. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and then that... we get this like music while Frederick's walking. Like it's like very theatrical in the way it uses music throughout the movie too. So it. I mean, it makes sense that, like, someone wanted to make it into a musical because well, and, it already and, is so musical. And Desiree sings at one point, right? Yeah. She sings yeah. a song. Yeah. <laughs> it's already a musical. Whatever. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's sort of just, like, the agency that these the female characters have in this film is really... It's remarkable. It really, really mm-hmm. is. And it's, yeah, I guess a, a testament to sort of just, like, how how in tune Bergman was was with just, like, sexual politics of the time, with gender politics of the time, with just, like, wanting to make this film uh, about, like, women who aren't gonna take shit from the men in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, re- and they, like, they're the ones who sort of come out on top at the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time. I, I, go, go see Smiles of a Summer Night. It's a good movie. <laughs> Find it. It's streaming on the Criterion channel. It's just, it's, it's worth it. 
uh, to find. But of course, the reason that we're talking about this movie is because of a, a man, a, a, a number of reasons, but a man named <laughs> Stephen Joshua Sondheim. Uh, what a, what a dude. Is it really Joshua? It is middle name's Joshua. Um, oh, that's weird. darling. <laughs> Never thought he was a Josh. <laughs> Joshy Sondheim. So yeah, so we, we we did the first the first half of this talking Bergman. Now we're talking talking Sondheim. Um, and it's because I was thinking about this. So a a larger sort of like through line of this podcast is just the fact that like most musicals are adaptations. Like mm. most of them. Like West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet. Gypsy's based on a, like, autobiography. Like, most of the Rodgers and Hammerstein catalog is based on short stories mm-hmm. and plays and what have you. Um, that's sort of, like, the larger narrative is just, like, just because it's based on a thing you've heard of doesn't always mean it's bad, which we're obviously going to get into with a little <laughs> night music, a show that fucks in many ways. Um, oh, yeah. But Stephen, yeah, Stephen Sondheim, who... Well, this is, I feel like this is the big Sondheim episode. There is, like, passion. I need to, like, dig deeper because passion is based on both a book and an Italian film. Mm -hmm. And I need to sort of see which was sort of the main source of inspiration to see whether it it merits inclusion here. But he's got this, there's this white whale of a Sondheim project. Uh, He's writing a musical with David Ives, the playwright David Ives, uh, based on two films by uh, the filmmaker Louis Bunuel. Um, he has taken two of his films. I want to just double check so I'm not misspeaking. He is taking uh, the film uh, the, Exter- the Exterminating Angel. Uh, the, yeah, the Exterminating Angel. And uh, it's something about like the bourgeois... Uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. He's taking these two films by Louis Bunuel and adapting them into a musical. Um... And it's been going on for years. Um, oh, yeah. And there's there's been, like, uh, like workshops and, like, developmental readings. All we know is that the show is currently called Bunuel. Like, it's just, like, th- like the name of the director. That's the show. It's be called... Cool. It's, it, no, it'd be like if A Little Night Music was called Bergman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is not a bad title, honestly. Um, a little bit uh, misleading. But, yeah, so I'm just, like... Maybe this podcast will go on long enough that we'll catch up to this musical finally existing. <laughs> I hope, but this about out, but outside of that, I feel like this is sort of like the time to talk about Mr. Sondheim, St- Steve, Steve, our buddy, our Josh. buddy Steve, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> it was there was an article when that there was that ninetieth uh, birthday celebration yeah. for Sondheim concert. And there was an article just all about, like, which performers called him Steve. Like, just, like, cataloging, like, mm-hmm. who's familiar, who is a familiar of Mr. Sondheim's that they have the audacity to call him Steve? <laughs> um, it was, it's fascinating. Um, but yeah, I'm also, to the question at the top of the episode, an important one. How many of Steven's, Steven, how many of Sondheim's musicals are about people fucking? It's it's oh, important. Yeah. It's important to think about. Um, we're we're looking chronologically. He has his, his musical Saturday Nights, the first musical he ever wrote, which he does not like. He said he describes it <laughs> like looking at baby photos. He is not a fan. That show is literally about guys who want to fuck people who like want to use their Saturday night to go on dates with women. 
Boom. Uh, one. One. <laughs> uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Literally, yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Greek, yeah. Greek fucking play. Um, <laughs> anyone can whistle? Not really. Co- company is a, like, that's like, Barbie, you gotta marry a woman so you can fuck them. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Follies is about Sally and Ben wanting to fuck. Um, yeah. Pacific Overtures is about the US fucking over Japan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on that for a while. Pulled it out. Um, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Oh, Sweeney Todd is horny A. Uh, Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite musicals of all time. I've been Hell in yeah. it. I know it super well. I was, I was horny, about to get. Horny, horny, bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, uh, Merrily We Roll Along is fucking over uh, the concept of time. Sunday in the Park with George is a horny show. Ooh, yeah. Fuck that fuck that bread. Uh, fuck that art. Um, into the Woods, the wolf has a penis. Um, pa- passion, it's passion, it's in the yeah. name. Um, they're they're okay. fucking on stage, like, right away. I know. Um, so the point is, yes, the energy flows through this man of putting sexual energy into musical theater, and we love to see it, as the kids say. Um, Tina, you, you kind of just said this already, but yeah, obviously the big question. Um, yeah, what, what is your favorite Sondheim musical? Well, uh, I mean, Sweeney Todd is... Uh, I've been in it, I like know it the best, so I will always love it. Also, the music's just gorgeous. It's like... One of my favorite musical theater songs of all time is the Joanna reprise in Act Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stunning. Um, but I, I gotta also stan, as the kids say. That's for you, Gen Z <laughs> listeners. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love Sunday in the Park with George. I mean, I'm an artist, so, like, you gotta, you gotta at least see yourself a little bit in that show. I love, I think, musically beautiful, really complex, and just, like, uh, tonally and thematically something I think that is... It's hard to get that energy into a show, and I think he does it in a really smart and cool way. He's, um, he's a sm- I, I love it. He's a smart guy. Bran, Bran what's, your, what, what's your Sondheim? I'd say probably Sunday in the park with George. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the revival in 2006, whatever that one, the, the transplant. Yep. I just think the way that he's able to completely represent like the style of art that he is making with the score and with the lyrics um, and, and like make it a a bigger treatise just about the making of art as a whole. So yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful show. It's a good one. I, I, I walked in at my wedding to Sunday played (gasps) on a, on a string quartet. I'm a fucking nerd, and I stand that show. Um, I love that. Uh, Tina, I, also Sweeney Todd rolls because they kill so many people. I love it. <laughs> so many people. Sweeney, Sweeney Todd's great. I, I've uh, Tina. Who are you in Sweeney Todd? <laughs> I want you to guess because it's the last person you'll expect. Oh wait, I actually know. I think I've seen pictures. I think you've shared I'm pictures. Sure you have. <laughs> um, were you Joanna? I was Joanna. For all yeah. those listening, um, I am uh, half Indian, half Bolivian. My skin is uh, reasonably dark. I have very dark brown hair. Every lyric about Joanna is about how pale and blonde she is. So I The last I would have guessed would have been Sweeney. But oh my that's gosh. just me. I wish. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get we'll get you that production where you get to play Sweeney. Um, I've been oh. in I've been in Sweeney twice somehow. I was in it. I went at the, my uh, the summer camp that I went to when I was in high school. I was in the ensemble. Um, and then in college, I would, well, yeah, in college, who did I play? Who did I play? 
Oh, Beetle. Yeah, I was gonna say Thank the you, Beetle, Brian. but I Thank want you. you I want to see you as Toby real bad. I, I, I think you such a good Toby. I think I've. I think I've. I've got maybe like a few years where I could potentially be Toby, but I've almost. Hey, in the production that where I play Sweeney, you can play Toby. Hell yeah, making it. And I'll play Toby. Mrs. Lovett. Yes. yes! <laughs> Make it happen. Um, yes, I, I of course, uh, British character actor with uh, exclusive uh, facial hair at every minute mm-hmm. of the day. Uh, yes, I was the Beatle, and it was the time of my life. Oh, um, yeah. Love, great show. Yeah, Sweeney's a good one. Um, but it's so, Assassins is also up there for me. Love Assassins. Mm-hmm. Um, thematically terrifying, but also, like, I don't know, there's something... I know there's something really interesting about interrogating the reasons that people want to take down uh, the systems of power. Whatever, leave that on the shelf <laughs> there. Uh, haha. But um, but I do. Uh, but it's so interesting. Like I'll sometimes like sometimes Pacific Overtures is my favorite Sondheim. Like mm. listening to a little night music, I'm like, is this his best show? I'm yeah. like, it's. <laughs> you know, Brian's like, no. Zero chance, but that's okay. <laughs> I th- what was it? The Frogs? Is The Frogs your favorite show? Oh. No, I, I, I am a secret stan for The Frogs. Um, my lo- it's my love of Greek shit. Um, mm. I'm just like, I don't know. Um, either way, Stephen Joshua Sondheim. Um, I, I luckily, so luckily, Mr. Mr. S literally wrote the book on his shows. Um, he has the two compilations of lyrics. Um, I actually, uh, they're both sitting right over here because I went through them this morning in preparation for mm-hmm. this episode. I know, it's he lovingly, wonderfully, like, wrote commentary on, like, each of his shows, um, which is great. So, yeah, so I, I'm guessing you did as well. Yeah, I, I read through um, sort of what this show was and how it came to be. So it seems... Uh, Stephen Sondheim, they wanted to adapt uh, Jean Ennui's Ring Round the Moon, uh, which is a very funny play about, like, it's a, it's one of those, like, it's kind of like a comedy of errors kind of show where you have, like, an actor playing, like, themselves as twins, and so there's a lot of fun, like, twin comedy. It's a very silly French farce. Um, it's a fun play. They couldn't get the rights to it. So they were like, well, this kind of has that same energy, I guess. So they're like, oh, and they were able to get the rights um, on the condition that they changed the name. Like, they didn't, like, Bergman was like, it's your thing, you're gonna make your own show, like, don't call it Smiles of a Summer Night, the musical. Yeah. Um, a problem that a lot of shows di- didn't have. The rights givers were like, no, 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 keep our name. <laughs> we yeah. want people to know what the brand is. Um, Bergman was not worried about his brand. Um, do your own thing with it. So they picked a little night music, which, nice title, memorable title. Um, yeah, based on Mozart, one of the most famous Mozart pieces. Eine kleine Nachtmusik. That's I the think one. Is how you say it. I should know this better. I, my background is in classical music, so I feel like I should have more information. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Um, the most interesting thing that I found in reading about it, so S- Stephen Sondheim, he loves puzzles. He's a he's a puzzle man. He loves he he's made he's notorious for making uh like jig not jigsaw like crossword puzzles and word games. He's all about it. He's He's a smart motherfucker, that guy, and he wants you to know it. He's just like, I will, like, make these lyrics just, like, work in this way and use this technique. And, like, yeah, obviously the thing with this show is that, like, the majority, if not all of the music is in in some variation of three-quarter time. Mm -hmm. Like, every 
for the most, like, pretty much every song is some variation of a waltz, which is great. Good for you. You you did yeah. it, Steve. Well done. You got a Tony. <laughs> you made them all different. <laughs> but but he what he wanted to do, he's like, oh, you know, we've got this like theme of like. Madame Arfelt playing the cards, dealing the cards of solitaire. What if we told the story, like, what if we told the story and in different ways? So, like, Desiree, like, wanted to, like, try and have her cake and eat it, too, where, like, the story ends tragically and she's like, no, no, let's try it again. So it's kind of like a Groundhog Day kind of thing, where, like, the show happens, like, three times with, like, three different endings. And Hugh Wheeler was like, nah, I'm good. That sounds no, dumb. Right. <laughs> well, it's like the, like, early version of that Community episode where they're, like, with the dice. Oh, sure, yes, it is. timelines. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's what that makes me think of. Yes. No, it should be executed like the end of Wayne's World, though, where they just do each version. They do the... <laughs> and rewind. Well, it's like, it's like Clue as well, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you get to... So, yeah, so that's what Stephen wanted to do, and Hugh Wheeler was like, I can't do that. It's like, that's... Hugh Wheeler's just like, I'm super literal. I'm, and Hugh Wheeler, who would go on to write the book for Sweeney Todd as well. So you'd be mm. a, a frequent collaborator with this bunch. Um, but, yeah, so... He, like, went away, and he wrote, like, his musical comedy version of the script. Um, and it, and I would say, like, it's... I would say Hugh Wheeler's script is funnier than Smiles of a Summer Night. It's got a lot more bits in it, um, mm-hmm. for, for what it's worth. Um, it's a really cruel dig at stage managers early on in the... <laughs> early on in the show, because, yeah, we'll get to it, the device that, like... So Frederick is now Frederica plot twist uh they've changed it to a young girl and she's like well i was uh nannied by the actors and the stage managers and madame marfeld's like stage managers can't be nannies they don't have the talent i'm like jesus christ <sighs> madam name me one thing a stage manager can't do. i would say i i would argue they can do anything um yeah. we are a pro stage manager podcast <laughs> here is what i'll say um but either way, so yeah, so it's a very funny script, and it's like a very literal adaptation, and so Sondheim was like, fine, well, if you're not going to make the script complex, I'm going to make the music complex. <laughs> and so he did, um, which is great. It's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting, sort of like just looking through... What they what they chose to musicalize, right? Because that's sort of going to be an, a sort of another a recurring thing. Sort of like one of the moments that they were like, what what sings to us, right? Like what? Mm-hmm. And I think, unsurprisingly, they were he was very clever, and he's like trying to find these moments of interiority, right? I feel like the yeah. moments that they really chose to musicalize deepen what's already there, bring to life mm-hmm. themes that are like already present. Um, so like. Soon, later, now, later, soon, which is sort of like this mm. beautiful, like almost like outside of the overture and the night waltz, it's like the opening number, right? It's this like number between Frederick and Henrik and Anne, where they're all singing about their wants and their needs, and it's they're these interlocking pieces of music, and they just like, yeah, we've got like Frederick, who's just this like indecisive sexual idiot to like like it mean like right like that's the theme of the show he can't make yeah. a choice he's trying to have it all so he's like well do i try to fuck her how do i try to fuck her do i just go to sleep what do i do and then he's like well i guess i'll just go to sleep and do nothing yeah. and then you have henrik st- 
again, I I love Steven for just keeping that brooding fuckboy, sad boy energy, like moving through the show, just like sad on the cello. First time we see him, just like it's oh. It's I good. Love, also, as a cellist, I'm like very pro Henrik playing the cello because it's such a like emo instrument. <laughs> and I and I and I wish I'm. There's your role, Tina. Yeah, we'll, we'll play do Frederick. We'll do yeah, we'll do the socially distanced a little night music, and we'll get you to play hey, Henrik. I have yet Henrik. to see a production where Henrik actually plays the cello, and it isn't just like a cello with no strings that the actor is miming, and it drives me up the wall. As as someone who does play, I'm just like you could have found somebody. And I'm, I'm, I'm crazy yeah, I, I wish I I wish I'd done more research because I'm curious about that choice, right? I mean, so because mm-hmm. like yeah, he plays guitar and piano in the original, but mm-hmm. I, I and I um I don't know if in the original he actually played the cello. That's my my own uh, dramaturgical uh, hole that needs to be filled in. Um, but either way. But yeah, I would say the big thing in this show is, yes, we've got Fred- Frederick has changed to Frederica, and I would say, like, her and Madame Armfelt have this much larger, almost, like, framing device. Like, they are sort mm-hmm. of the the arbiters of our of our evening of entertainment, right? They sort of, mm-hmm. they, they start the show and they end the show. They're really sort of keeping this theme of, like, the three smiles, the three generations of lovers, like the young, the fools, and the old, sort of, they're... They're keeping this wheel moving, um, mm-hmm. in a in a, a way that I think really works. And again, I think it really helps to differentiate the show uh, from the movie, and it gives yeah. it its own identity. Um, liaisons, which Madame Armfelt sings, like there's this, there's like mm. yeah, there, there's like one moment I think in the movie where sort of Madame Armfelt is sort of talking about her previous trysts, but like liaisons is just like. It's it's a gorgeous song in a show of gorgeous songs. It's just, it's this like woman singing about like memories of like the years gone by and the loves gone by and like what what could have been and what once was and it's it's kind of heartbreaking. In yeah, and the, it's like so early in the show too. Like middle of Act One. Yeah. <laughs> like uh it's it's very it's a, it's a good it's a good song but then uh, the the other sort of major addition for the show is the how they sort of handle the the side character like the ensemble there's this like mm-hmm. four person ensemble uh in the show um cuz yeah like i i do love sort of the ancillary characters in the film right like you've got like yeah like those two clerks at the beginning of the film who are gossiping mm-hmm. about frederick you've got like the one of the cooks who, like, works at the Eggman house, who's, like, gossiping with... Uh, well, no, rather, like, Petra's gossiping, and the cook's like, hell's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I love this character. What's, where's she at? Um, but no, so you've got this uh, quintet in the show. Um, Mr. Lindquist, Mrs. Nordstrom, Mrs. Anderson, Mr. Erlinson, and Mrs. Sergstrom. And they sort of provide uh i'd say they're like kind of the yeah they're, they're the greek chorus of the show the mm-hmm. the swedish chorus of the show <laughs> like they they sort of fill in the thematic gaps um throughout the the evening um mm-hmm. beautifully i would say there's like that song remember yeah. where it's my favorite in the whole show I yeah love it. 
It's it, so good. Talk more on that. They sing like, well, they sing like. First of all, it's beautiful, like beautiful musically. But they're this kind of quintet is singing from the perspective of the characters who are having their own interaction on stage, and like saying things that like those people aren't say. It's just like such a cool kind of like mind fuck of like who are we actually listening to whose experiences are we talking about and why aren't they talking about them i love it i think it's so so theatrical right and it's right and it's it's fascinating because like the the, like the movie goes a lot of places we're at the eggerman home we're at the theater we're at desiree's home we're at uh the malcolm home then we go out to this whole new countryside location in the second act like but I would say, like, from, from the productions that I've seen, like, they keep the action moving. And I feel like it's probably, like, mm-hmm. part of the ensemble, right? They're probably there to help with those scene transitions mm-hmm. and, like, help things sort of flow from place to place. Um, but, yeah, they're, I think they're a wonderful addition, and they add, like, literal voice to, to, the, mm-hmm. to the themes of the show. Um, I you, think it's cool that they echo that opening exactly, too. The yeah. musical, that vocalese that starts the score yeah. is, like, on the credits of the Ingmar. I think that's a cool, like, up-top reference yeah. that they throw in there. What I just, I, like, it's... I'm excited to sort of dig into some, like, musicals later that I'm just, like, that I have some some issues with. But it's just like, oh, I'm just, like, we're just, like, fucking gushing about this thing, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just so good and it's well-written and well-structured. Uh, <laughs> whatever. It's a good show. But, yeah, like, I, I would say, like, if I were to play a character in the show, like, I would love to play Carl Magnus. Like, he, mm. like, in Praise of Women is such a fun song. It's just, again, it's just taking every, it's taking the entire, that's what I'm like, why I think this show is so genius. And again, like today I can be, today I'm making the argument that it is his best. Cause I'm just like, Steven's so good at taking the interiority of these characters and bringing it to life. Just, and even just like mm. things that like, you wouldn't even think about. Like, Obviously, like, there is this jealousy within Carl Magnus. That's why the whole thing happens. But it's just... And it's brought to life so beautifully in his lyrics, just sort of, like, worrying about Frederick and, like, the specifics of the lie he's been told. Um, And then the very next song, Every Day a Little Death, where you're taking the pain of Charlotte, who, again, like, in the film and in the stage show as well, she's a very sort of... She's a character with a lot of power, but we get to hear the pain in this song, which I think is mm-hmm. a lovely choice as well, right? To sort of like really yeah. show the vulnerability of her character and what she's going through. And it's and it's just a good song as well. It's just yeah. like a lovely, pretty song. And then you end the the act with a weekend in the country, which is a which it, bop. Banger. I was, I was literally like in the in in current parlance, it is a banger. It is it is just it slaps. It, it is, slaps. Like if you're looking for like a great example of an Act One finale song, motherfucking weekend in the country. Like take that yeah. to the bank. in your head for days. I mean years. I saw the show of the last time. Like last time I saw this on stage was in college. So wow, like, ten years ago, and I still like remember the whole thing it's it's great it is uh so good my favorite part again unsurprisingly is henrik 
coming in near the end. It just fucking slows. Like, it's this, like, jaunty number. Like, a it's just, like, so bouncy, boppy. Gonna get it stuck in your head again. And then it just, like, slows down to a crawl. And then it's like, he comes in. He's just like, ah, a weekend in the country, you say? I'll go too. And I was like, okay. And it's just like so dramatic. And like in the scheme of things, like like you really think about it, it's like, I guess it's dramatic that Henrik's gonna come along, but it's just this it almost sounds like something from Sweeney, right? It's like this like yeah. jarring thing that just like cuts through the number. Um But yeah, it's a fucking banger. Way way to go, Steve. You you did it. You ended your first act with a with a with a bop. Second act is fascinating musically because they do they do throw it to the ensemble. Like they sort of they're doing a lot of the musical heavy lifting in that second act. Um, but again, it's great, but it's just it's like so interesting. Like the characters really move to like the book scenes primarily. The sort of the farce of it all. No fuck button, yeah. which is sad. Whatever. R.I.P. Fuck button. <laughs> It's okay. We'll we'll find a way to do it in another production. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but you you get it would have been wonderful, which is maybe my least favorite song in the mm. in the musical. It's there's a it's like again very clever, very witty. Um, I don't I don't know how necessary it really is. Like I feel like the the stakes are high enough as it is that you, like you don't really need the song. That that would be my one gripe. If I had mm. any. Um, but then, yeah, of course, we get to the most, maybe Stephen Sondheim's inexplicably most famous song <laughs> that he's ever written, that even he is surprised by. He's like, what the fuck? Send in the, cl- <laughs> send in the clowns. Send them in. Clowns are here. Um, send in the clowns, uh, which, again, I think it's the... F- the function that it plays, I think, is beautiful. Because like mm. we were sort of saying, in the film, Desiree comes out on top. And I feel like she's... It, 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 and it's great. She's forever in like these in a position of power within the film. She's mm. got agency. She sort of has the upper hand against these men. And I would say, like, in the stage show, I think what's beautiful about Sending in the Clowns is, like, you get this moment of, like seeing her at her most vulnerable and seeing the damage that these assholes are really doing to her. It's something that you don't really get in the Bergman film. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's like removed from the show. It's just like, it's a sad song, but I feel like in the, in the, in the context of the show, it's got this beautiful emotion to it that I like, whether you like the song or not, it's function is wonderful. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, because thinking about the scene that it's in, too, like, Frederick's the one doing all the stuff. He's doing a lot of the talking, and she's kind of the one who, like, doesn't know, you know, who's so used to being in control of the room, so used to, like, knowing what actor thing to do to, like, deal with a situation. And, like, this is the first time we see her kind of responding to something that she doesn't know how to respond to. And it's so... And it's just, like... You know, I love a nice, complex Sondheim score, but there is something about the simplicity of the song, which I know is for a reason, you know, it was for Glynis Johns because she couldn't, like, sustain a phrase um, super long. But, like, the simplicity of it is just so... It's an opportunity for an actor to, like, 
just kind of like let it all out. Yeah. Which I think is, is very, you know, enticing for a lot of performers um, who there's not a lot of songs like it that do what it does in the function of the show. So it's like a nice juicy opportunity, I think. Right. I mean, yeah. Cause like a lot, I mean, a lot of contemporary musical theater is all about the actors showing off. Right. It's all about yeah. like belting, <laughs> High oh, high man. notes. <laughs> I, I'm sure you you know this. I have so many opinions and thoughts. We'll be here for ten hours. I know. Um, <laughs> but yes, there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, so it's yeah, it is sort of like lovely to sort of just have this moment of just like not relaxed per se, but just like sort of like um, yeah, emotionally still and emotionally sort of like within this range, within this zone, um, but still deep and still. Yeah, mm-hmm. still, like, emotionally satisfying, I would say. Uh, but, yeah, it kind of blew up uh, inexplicably. <laughs> like, Steven, yeah, even Steve's just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, fr- it got to Frank Sinatra, and then it just fucking, it's, it took off. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, it's... Well, Judy Collins first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it was... <sighs> Is that the only song of Sondheim's to ever chart? It's gotta be. It has to be. Um, I think so. I'm going to say yes. Um, what, a little priest was never climbing up the, <laughs> the charts, really? Yeah, no. I, I Yeah, no. Uh, please, hello from Pacific Overtures. Like, <laughs> covered, by, co- covered by Miley Cyrus. Yeah. I don't know. That was just a dumb joke. <laughs> Listen, Miley does a good job covering stuff, so I would honestly be interested in what that sounds like. Stupid. I would totally watch her in a Sondheim show. I bet she'd be pretty cool. Which, which one? Where would you throw her? Ooh, good question. Maybe Marilyn? Why not? Yeah, yes, great. <laughs> First thing that popped into my brain. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, no, that's good. Um, yeah, so, so, God, yeah, it's... I mean, cause I would, yeah, I mean, I argue Sondheim has written better songs. He, like, sort of the, the two songs that he will usually say are his best are, like, Someone in a Tree from Pacific Overtures and the next song in the musical, The Miller's Son. Oh. He loves that. I mean, with good reason. Another banger, in my opinion. It's so good. And again, like, so, and again, this is fascinating. In in the film, Smiles of a Summer Night, like, Frid is this, like, yeah, he's like, like I said, he is sort of like the caretaker of the second half of the film. And he has, mm. like, this larger role. He barely talks. Like, if He's just anything. like a hot beefcake that, like, sits there. Yeah. He's just, yeah, they, like, they fuck, and he had a song. He had a song called Silly People, which they cut in out-of-town tryouts because it was just, like, dead in the water. Um, mm-hmm. Just wasn't working. Um, but I love The Miller's Son. Again, it's just, like, it is taking everything about Petra, who, again, is, like, a fascinating character and a fantastic mm-hmm. character, and so, yeah, like, sort of her in her own sexual politics, like, so opposites of everyone else's energy in the piece and just like to distill it into the song about like who she'll marry and what she wants in life and like what like what does it mean to love and what does it mean in these different relationships and ah it's 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 a good one it's it's so good and it's so interesting right after sending the clowns too like this character who Desiree, who we're used to seeing being so self-possessed and, like, so in control, kind of, like, experiencing what it feels like to not be in control for the first time and not knowing what to do and not understanding the world around her, kind of, for the first time. Yeah. And then we see Petra, like, 
with this song, and I would say the Miller son is like a kind of really keen observation of how the world works. You know, like Petra's super grounded in like what her reality is and what she can do within that to make herself happy and like what options exist for her and what options exist for people. And it's just kind of like interesting to see the flip of like characters, you know, from Sending the Clowns, which I think is arguably the opposite of like, what the fuck do I do now? Like, I, uh, who knows to like, here are all of my options and I'm going to sing about them and then I'm going to fuck. <laughs> and she does. Yeah. And she sure does. Um, and then the show ends and Madame Armfelt dies. The end. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so, so they, there is still like a duel. It's not as much the Russian roulette, right? It's just like, well, no, I forget. I think... I think they I think still it's a duel. Either way, he grazes no. his ear. Frederick grazes yeah. his ear. He's okay. Uh, like that. So there was a real bullet in the in the gun. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, the stakes have been raised in the little night music's duel. Um, but I think I would say it is a little bit more explicit that Desiree and Frederick end up together mm-hmm. at the end of this show. Um, and, and like, and everything else happens. Yeah, like uh, Henrik and uh, Anne run off together um charlotte still sort of like it's that sort of like the same ending with charlotte and carl magnus where again she's like you're mine but like i fucking own you um understood Mm -hmm. carl magnus um and then madame armfelt dies Mm -hmm. (laughs) happy ending for all um but yeah she's happy about it i guess yeah she's like i smiling on her i've lived my life i am done um i won solitaire (laughs) (laughs) it's important to win solitaire yeah a game you're playing against yourself um so a little bit of sort of like post-show context um igmar bergman saw the show and purportedly he loved it which is great um he like was talking to to Stephen Sondheim about it, and Sondheim was like, "Oh, you know, I know I changed this, and I know like the, it's a little f- like more sort of like cheesy and like funny and comedic." And Ingmar Bergman's like, "Quote, no, no, Mister Sondheim, please. I enjoyed the evening very much. Your piece has nothing to do with my movie. It merely has the same story. After all, we all eat from the same cake." Which he, which is honestly like icon. the, the <laughs> two icons. Um, but honestly, like that's isn't that like the best you could get? Is like, listen, I liked your thing, and it has nothing to do with mine. And I think that's true. Mm. Like, obviously, like the stories are the same, but it's like there is so much that a little night music has that smiles does not, and vice versa. You got mm. you got no fuck button. You got no scenic Switzerland. Um, I think there's they are two separate entities that are able to be great in their own ways without having to lean on the other. Like a little night yeah. music does not. The greatness of a little night music does not rest on the brand of Ingmar, Ber- Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> like you do not yeah. need Smiles of a Summer Night to appreciate. Uh, a little night music. They can both exist uh, within themselves. Um, but of course, as as Brand did bring up near the top of this, we do briefly have to discuss the 1977 feature film adaptation of A Little Night Music, the musical. Um, 
directed by its stage director, Harold Prince. Hal Prince. The late, great Hal Prince. Um, Second and final for him. I, I, that, was, that was my review on Letterboxd. Um, I was like, <laughs> I, love Hal, I love Howard Prince, and there is a reason that he never made a movie after this. Um, Steven, <laughs> and Steven Sondheim as well uh, hates the movie. He calls it, mm. quote, a waste of everyone's time. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, he's a brutal man. He's a brutal, honest man, uh, Mr. Sondheim. Still with us, uh, as, as of the recording of this podcast. Um, happy oh, birthday, happy birthday, happy 91st birthday next month, Stephen. Um, I, there's a lot, I, I did watch the film. I watched the whole film. Um, the slogan that I found, this is, this was on Letterboxd. This is what they said the slogan for Little Night Music is Send in the clowns Send in the crowds The Tony Award winning oh. musical Is now a lot of movie Which oh, and there's no. Now there's a lot to dig into with this First of all the movie Jesus. is short The movie <laughs> The movie is shorter than the musical, so it is arguably not a lot of movie. It is a scant hour fifty nine minutes. Um, Dang. Um, they cut out, yeah. And I was, I sort of, I had the script up, and I was following along, like with the movie, um, like from the musical to the film. They cut out quite a bit of dialogue. They cut out quite a number of songs. Ugh. Um, the added one though. They yeah. they did. There's a new version of Glamorous Life, which is. Pretty good. It's a nice. It's yeah. And the opening is uh, "Love Takes Time." Yeah, that is not very good. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um. But you know, Audrey McDonald uh, has sort of taken the version of "Glamorous Life" that was written for the film and made it like her own. And it's a beautiful song. Like if you just like YouTube or just like try and find Audrey McDonald singing the "Glamorous Life," beautiful. Like absolutely gorgeous um, rendition. Um, the film's not good. Um, Elizabeth Taylor plays Desiree Armfeld. Um, she is fine. Uh, it is a, like, yeah, just how, and, like, apparently everyone was just miserable filming it, and Harold Prince, like, God love him, just, just, does not have the technical command over, like, what to do with a movie. Um, it's just not great. Um, it's, I can't even recommend seeking it out. Like, if you're curious Sure. Um. Like. Yeah. Like. Lynn Carriou. Like. Reprises. Uh. His performance of. Uh. Frederick from the from the Broadway production. Um. Glynis Johns does the same as Madame Armfelt. Um. The most curious thing is that Henrik is changed to Enric. Oh no no is it Enric no it's Eric Eric, Eric my God I, I was I just I, it's not Enric like Cockney Henrik yes no sorry you're so right. <laughs> They changed his name. Take it again. I'll take it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it. Bran, keep it. Um, no, no, we'll take it again. So, no. They changed his name to Eric, which is a very different name from Henrik. Um, Why? I, maybe, like, it sounds better sung. Like, you don't have that hard H in the lyrics. I don't, I don't know. It's such an yeah. odd, random choice. Um, the cr critics hated it. Um, I don't believe it did very well at the box office. But Jonathan Tunick, uh, a, a esteemed orchestrator, Jonathan Tunick, did win an, win an Oscar for it. What? Uh, and he is an EGOT. And I, I, I don't... I, he might have won other Oscars, but, like, that certainly helped him towards becoming an EGOT. Um, it's so strange. 
It is such a strange... Did he orchestrate the stage show, too? He did, yes. He or- he orchestrated all of the Sondheim-Harold Prince collaborations. Uh, mm. Company, Follies, Night Music, Pacific Overtures, Sweeney, and Merrily. He's, he was their go-to. Um, and he's great. He's great. At- and he also did the... Or- His orchestrations for Company, I would argue, are, like, the best orchestrations for a musical um, ever. They're so good. Um, just the, so 70s. That, that just original companies, like, this, it's so good. It's just, f- like, they, and he also did Promises, Promises, which we'll be talking about at mm. some point. Um, oh. I know. It's it's a fun one. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to watch I, As of this recording, I have not watched The Apartment yet, the Billy Wilder film that it's based on, but I cannot wait. Um, but, yeah, Jonathan Tunick, we stand. Great orchestrator. Um, he's a good one. Uh, he, he's the first. He was the first person to win the Tony Award for Best Orchestrations when they finally made it a category uh, in the nineties. Um, but yeah, and yeah, and this. So this was yeah. Little Night Music was part of uh, the Miracle Run of Sondheim's, where he won, like he won the Tony three years in a row for Company mm-hmm. Follies and Night Music. Ugh. Uh Night Music Wild. also Night Music also won Best Musical. Um, it beat Pippin, which I think is <laughs> I know, which I think is fine. I I do I would yeah. argue that a little Night Music is a better musical than Pippin. That is correct. Yes. On musical terms, I would absolutely agree. <laughs> do you think on, on show? I think the, I, yeah, go on, go on. I don't know. I think I think the uh, I'm I'm not a huge fan of a little Night Music's plot at all, really. Even yeah. though I really like the movie, I just do not care in the musical. I think it's like. A lot of some of Sondheim's really beautiful, like some of his most beautiful music is in the show. But I just think it's like without the beautiful like sets uh, and the like um, really sumptuous clothing in the original film and um, just the beauty of that countryside. Also, those really cool old timey cars they drive out, (laughs) uh, which I assume were not in the stage version. Um, I just, I don't know, as far as the musical goes, I don't think, I just don't think it's that interesting. Sure. That's, um, I, yeah. So, and, and Pippin is batshit insane, but the plot is also very in- interesting. <laughs> but the music in, in Little Light Music is way Pippin's weird. I'm sad, Pippin. Listen, maybe, maybe Pippin will hop up, hop up on Patreon. Who knows? Like, but yeah, Pippin is not going to be a mainstream uh, discussion, but maybe, maybe in the future. We'll see. Um, either way, um, a little night music. Great show about sexy, horny people. Um, I recommend it. There is no official, like, <laughs> thing, but I I recommend seeking it out. Oh, yo, yeah, so, because um, we are mainly sort of talking about just, like, text rather than productions, but yeah, uh, Tina, you did say that you, you have seen a production of this show before. Yes. Where, where and when? Uh, it was, the year was... 2000, like 12 or 13. I don't remember when in college I saw it. But um, yeah, honestly, this is my only time seeing the show. Um, It is bizarre. It's a weird show to see um, populated entirely by a cast of like 18 to 22 year olds. Sure. Because it is so much about like aging and like, you know, kind of the later point in life and what that means. So yeah, like to watch like someone who was in the year below me saying send in the clowns. I was like, <laughs> you sound great. I'm like, you're doing your best, but I just like don't buy so much of this. Even though like, you know, like it would the production was excellent. Everyone was really good. Like the MTs at Michigan are all very talented. 
Yeah. So it was a good production. I was just kind of like, why did the department choose this show for a bunch of children to do? Strange choice. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like uh, teenagers and college kids, yeah, maybe don't have the the means of going through what Desiree Armfelt was going through yeah. when they sing Sound of the Clowns. Um, I mean, it's it's awkward horny energy, which I think is yeah. something interesting too. Um I don't know. Um, I saw, I saw, so yeah, actually you brought up uh, before, Brand the, the Menier Chocolate Factory, which is where su- there was that Sunday in the Park with George revival. That's where that originated. So the same thing with the recent A Little Night Music Broadway revival. Um, so that originated at the Menier Chocolate Factory. Um, I saw that production uh, directed by Trevor Nunn um, with uh Hannah Waddingham as Desiree Armfelt, um, who sadly did not transfer to Broadway. I, I, I do like Catherine Zeta-Jones. I do. I think she did give a good performance as Desiree. I know that is potentially an unpopular opinion. I don't care. I thought she was fine. I think her in that show weaponizes her celebrity in a very interesting way, um, mm. if nothing else. Um, but in England, uh, the role of Anne was played by jesse buckley which i did which i didn't know at the time like because jesse buckley was an english musical theater actor at the time and now she is the star of wild rose and i'm thinking of ending things and i from what i remember over a decade ago i remember her being pretty good um but yes i wild wild times wild and a lot of opera companies do this show as well which i think is fascinating because it's like it's I mean, yeah, there's a lot of singing, but I feel like the book scenes are so much of it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's not, Sweeney is like almost sung through, but yeah. like a little night music is like a proper musical comedy with like proper like book scenes and like long stretches of dialogue with no music. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I wonder the if it's because of the, of the orchestrations. And, like, just uh, the music directors at these opera houses just really loving that those orchestrations and the size of that pit for this show. Yeah, man. Good. And I bet a lot of opera companies have, like, a lot of those costumes in storage already. You know, like, that, that brand of show, like, that kind of genre makes sense for an opera company to do. Although, like, the arguably the lead of the show is Desiree, and she has, like, one solo... And a couple of lines and other songs, but like barely sings at all. It's true. It's not a. It's again. It was. It was written for Glynis John. Not. Not. Yeah, Glynis Johns. Um, mm-hmm. um, oh, I. I misspoke before about the actress playing. Uh, uh, Madame Armfelt in the film. It was Whatever. Hermione it was Hermione Gringold. Yes, my apologies. Correct that. Um, in my brain. <laughs> uh, either way, yes. No. Yeah, Glynis Johns. Who? Yeah. Who sort of had this? Who was this? Yeah. This beautiful. Uh, like there's this beautiful like voice that sort of again it's sort of like it's only on like one level but it's like great level great mm. great zone that she's in um yeah got got a lot For of those ca- who need a reference point yeah go on she's the mom in mary poppins that's what i knew her from amazing the suffragette mom amazing um you know she's and it's you know she's got it's a voice with a lot of character which again like again mm-hmm. if we want to Get into criticisms of contemporary musical theater. I feel like Ugh. you don't get a lot of voices with character to them. No, I feel like the like Nathan Lane is maybe like one of the last folks who has that. Like Nathan Lane and Bernadette and Mandy Patankin. Like I feel mm. like those are the like the last class of like musical theater actors who have real sort of like 
personality to their singing voices. Yeah. Oh, I would argue Amber Gray in Hades Town. Oh, sure. Oh, God, yeah. Too. I, I adore her. Oh, I so think good. she's so great. Hades Town. I would even say Michael Cerverus to an extent, but that's kind of, but his is just a more traditional baritone, but it's mm-hmm. like, you can always tell it's him. Yeah. Though. There's yeah. something about that darkness he adds to like the shape. That's completely mm-hmm. fair. No, he's a great actor. Very, who, who, who also has sort of, has he, I don't know if he's ever been in a little night music. He would be a great Frederick. He'd, oh yeah. He'd be such a fun Frederick. Because um, yeah, obviously, I'd he, love to see that. He's done Sweeney. He's done Passion. He's done Roadshow. Um, which is not. It's not about fuck. Well, there's a little bit about fucking, but it's mainly about brotherly love. Um, which is its own kind of fuckery. Um, either way, I I also stand Roadshow. Roadshow is a is an often neglected Sondheim show, but I think there's a lot of good shit in there. Um, either way, yeah, Michael Cerverus, when theater comes back. You're, you're playing Frederick. We got we got this. Yeah, what's the dream cast of this show? Sure. Like, I think Amber Gray would be great as Desiree. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she doesn't, she doesn't sing a lot, but I think she'd still just be great. She's a good actor. Yeah. yeah. Um... Oh my god! Yeah, I, I don't know. We can we can probably ponder on this for for days, but we yeah. gotta get. We have to get to the final question of our podcast about questions, um, which we will ask our guests on every show. So Tina, oh no! I know I you were so excited, <laughs> and now you seem so worried. Um, if you could adapt any movie into a musical that hasn't been already, yeah, what would you choose? Oh, the, I thought about this question. You prepared me in advance, thank you, mercifully. Otherwise, I would, like, be pooping my pants right now. But um, this is such a hard question. I think because I haven't seen, compared to most people, haven't seen a lot of movies. I'm, like, a TV person. Like, TV is my number one. Right. Um, but, uh, so here's, here's my large-scale deal. I feel like the mistake a lot of people make when adapting a movie to a musical is taking a movie and putting it into a show and, like, updating it. Right. And I feel like what A Little Night Music does so well and what I I wish more people did if, you know, when they're taking movies and turning them into musicals is think about, like, what the story is and why the vehicle of a musical tells it in a different way or adds something to it or, mm-hmm. like, helps the audience understand it in a different way. And I think with this, it does because, like you said, like, we get the kind of internal monologues of a lot of the characters that we don't get to see in the movie. We get to, like, go inside people's brains. We get the theatricality of, like, a quintet narrating the thoughts of other people. We get Frederica and Madame Armfelt, like, kind of passing judgment on a lot of the characters who, like, don't look inwardly at themselves enough. So I feel like the the genre of a musical actually like helps tell the story and elevate it and make it something new and special. You know, like Ingmar Bergman said, like it's not the same thing; it's a whole different thing. Um, and I feel like a lot of the, the times when people are putting movies on stage into musicals, they're just like, "Well, how are we going to make money? And how are we going to like mm-hmm. bring fans of the movie in and like wink at them to let them know that like we watched the movie mm-hmm. and like." you know, we get it as opposed to like, well, why do we want to tell this in this format? 
So that's my really long preface. <laughs> no, it's a good preface. That that is like the <laughs> that's like the thesis of this show. So thank yeah. you for like laying it out <laughs> there. Um, anyway, go on. So I I don't know why this is what popped up for me, but and I haven't watched this movie in like years. Um, but I feel like. And also, I should say, as an actor-musician, I am very much in favor of, like, actor-musician musicals and, like, shows that use the act of making music as part of the theater experience. Um, So I would love to see an actor-musician kind of folky, indie um, version of the movie Away We Go, starring Maya Rudolph and John Krasinski. Because it already has a really interesting indie soundtrack. And I don't, like, this isn't to say, like, I think they should transpose the soundtrack into the show because I think that's a mistake. But, like, the vibe of it is very interesting. It's already very interesting musically. And it's told in kind of an episodic way where, like, they are on a journey, this couple who are expecting a kid. They're on a journey, like, interacting with different people from different points in their lives. And I feel like that's a really interesting formula for a stage show and could be very theatrical and, and gives us an opportunity for that kind of internal reflection through music. Um, and also maybe through instrumentals, if we're doing actor musician kind of folky <laughs> stuff, which I think we should. Um, this is fast. So this is absolutely fascinating. Um, wow. Uh, for those who are unaware, this is the Sam Mendes, uh, 2009 American comedy drama, uh, written by Dave Eggers and Venda La Vida. Uh, this, yes, this, as you said, the soundtrack uh, consists of songs by uh, singer-songwriter Alexi Murdoch. Um, include, yeah, it's got some like some Bob Dylan in there, some George Harrison in there, uh, Velvet Underground in there. Um, this is I, I, you took a sharp left turn from wherever the <laughs> hell I thought you were going, and I. What did you think? I, was I don't do? know. I was like, because you were sort of like you were kind of like on the once track or like the August Rush track. I was like, where, where is mm-hmm. Tina going with this? But you know what? I love it. I'm. Yeah, because I feel like, like, I mean, I obviously like the first thing I thought of was like, well, like once, like that's something I love and like think worked really well and they did a good job with but like we'll talk about how do i do that but like i didn't want to take a show about music and put more music on it sure like well what do we yeah i feel like that's the next step you know cool oh man good good answer i applaud you for that honestly that's that is that is i've never seen the way we go so that's just not within my frame of reference Oh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember really enjoying. I mean, I'll watch Maya Rudolph literally like read the phone book. I she's my favorite performer, maybe. And it's time. and it's great for her to get. And it's I think it's lovely to see comedians in more dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fascinating because she is like her partner is Paul Thomas Anderson, so it is kind yeah. of like, I it's hysterical that like it's like I mean no she's I mean she's a funny person. Of course, she should do primarily comedy, but it's just it's so fascinating that she is married to one of the greatest directors of our generation. I had no idea. Oh, man. What? That's a great reveal of the day for me. (laughs) Love him, love her. Yeah. Imagine what that home is like, you know? I mean, I wonder if it's just like Phantom Thread. Like... (laughs) <laughs> She's just oh, poisoning him with mushrooms all it's, the time. And that's, well, that's, well, that's how they get down. That's the like that that film is yeah. yeah you're just you watching. You're like, oh, I think I know a lot about PTA and Maya's relationship now. 
<laughs> now I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, his next movie, Soggy Bottom. Do you know about this? I love the title. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, I don't believe it's about baking. I don't believe it is a uh, dramatic PTA adaptation of the Great British Bake Off. It's about butts, then. It's about, uh, it's about a high school student who becomes a famous child actor in the 1970s. Um, the child actor is played by Cooper Hoffman, son of Philip, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. Um, it's wow. and it's gonna or, and it's gonna star uh, Bradley Cooper, um, Alana Haim of the band Haim, oh. um, because he's directed a bunch of their music videos, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Benny Safdie of the Safdie Brothers of Uncut Gems fame. Wow. Yeah. So that's. That's where we're at. That is, but yes, away we go. Away we go. The musical, or maybe a different title, so it can be its own thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> who knows? That's that's. It's so like it's interesting. Like looking at like the list of upcoming episodes we have. We've got like the apartment, which became Promises, Promises. Um, there's going to be like other stuff uh, in like later seasons. We'll do like Knights of Cabiria, the Federico Fellini film that became Sweet Charity. But then it's just Ooh. I know I I that is if someone else can correct me, you can tweet us or message us or whatever. I believe Sweet Charity is the earliest example I could find of a movie turned into a musical. If someone else can find an earlier one, let us know. Uh, but that is the earliest one I could find. Um, but then it's just like Shrek, Beetlejuice. <laughs> like it's just like blank. I mean, that's that's why the thing. That's why we that we have the name that we have. But it's just like it's so nice to see like people being creative and just like a little night music. It's just like its own yeah. lovely thing, separate from the Bergman film. Um, that's all I got. Um, <laughs> Tina. Thank you so much for being here today to talk about oh, this. Thank haunt. you for having oh me. Oh my god! Is there anything else uh, that you want to plug? Any where we can find you? Oh, I mean, you can uh, follow me on. I don't ever tweet really, but I'm on Twitter at Tina Tina MP. Instagram same handle. Um, uh, you can follow uh, We the People Present a podcast on Instagram. Um, at We the People Present, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's it's really just a podcast, kind of. It's four of us um, talking about our experiences as people of various different marginalized identities, just kind of living in the world and like working through stuff as friends. Um, we have the occasional guest on to talk about something super niche. We just had um, someone on to talk about shame in classical Greek drama. Wow! So that gives you a sense of you know how specific we get it was very fun um but yeah we the people present a podcast um that's that's oh and and i do um a couple of voices on a radio drama episodic radio drama called the vanishing act produced written and created by a bunch of chicago theater people starring a bunch of other chicago theater people Uh, it's very silly very fun um also wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow them at vanishing pod on um Instagram and Twitter. Hell yeah. We'll, and we'll be sure to throw all of those uh, in the description uh, so people can Sweet. follow your podcast adventures. Um, thank you all for listening to our 
weird and horny journey today. Uh, I want to send <laughs> special thanks, of course, to Brian Moorhead for producing. Uh, I want to thank Emily Harrington for our artwork. I want to thank M. Modaf and Josh Stanley for our banging theme music. Um, if you like the show, be sure to rate us, review us, subscribe for future episodes. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Movie the Musical. Uh, if you want to support the podcast and get some sweet bonus content, go to patreon.com slash movie the musical and consider becoming a monthly member we're gonna have some fun bonus content um that i will be honest if you're if if you're listening now it will be up there but at this point in time i am still thinking what's gonna go up there um but if there are things that you want us to cover that are not (laughs) screen to stage adaptations let us know Maybe I will talk about cats. Maybe maybe that'll happen because uh-huh. I have a lot of feelings um, that are not... Or- I formally request that now. <laughs> I'm going to put in a request right now that you talk about cats. I, I, I do not... I have, I have seen worse movies, is all I'll say. Um, <laughs> That's a great review. <laughs> it, no. My, I actually kind of love it, so I can't wait for that episode. Yes, my, my, my line is, it is the best movie ever made and the worst movie ever made. And I stand by it. Um, yeah. Either way, thank you. Tune in next time uh, for Movie the Musical. And keep on singing. <laughs>